Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Hang on the Holy Land, Land Grant Holland's flagship podcast. I am your host, Gene Ross, and joining me, not as always, but in place of Josh Dooley, who is performing a uh, secret CIA mission overseas, is none other than Justin Golba, who you may know from our Bucketheads podcast, our Ohio State men's basketball podcast here at Land Grant Holy Land. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gene. Thanks for having me on while Josh is on his secret secret excursion out, out of the country. Yes, absolutely. Justin has graciously offered his services this week for a bit of a different kind of episode here on Land Grant Holy Land on a hang on the Holy Land podcast, I should say. Um, obviously, we didn't have a, a Purdue recap this week with some scheduling conflicts, so we're going to do a bit of a, a combo episode this week with your Purdue recap, and then we will jump into the Michigan State preview. So to, to kind of kick things off here, Justin, we will start with this Purdue game. Ohio State obviously takes down Purdue 59-31, which you likely know by now if you are listening to this podcast on, on a Wednesday. If you don't know that score, then I'm, I don't think you're really following. Um but yeah, Justin, uh, the offense looked really good. The defense had its moments, especially in the first half, and then had some struggles later in the in the second half. Where I think we should kind of break down both individually because they both have their their own positives and their own negatives. I think uh, I think it's worth starting with the offense because I think that's the the big story in this one. Obviously, the return of Garrett Wilson was a big one as the. Uh, junior wide receiver goes off for four touchdowns, catches 10 passes for 126 yards and three touchdowns, and then had the additional 51-yard score on that little end around they ran. And I, I think really the biggest story in this game was Ohio State using a lot more motion with the wide receivers and that being able to open up a lot of things in both the running game and in the passing game. I thought Ryan Day called a really good game, and I think it's why Ohio State's offense looked as good as it does. And I think, you know, obviously we talk every week about how good this Ohio State receiving core is, and we just keep seeing it week in and week out that this is a truly special group, especially the top three that that go out there every week. Yeah, I mean, this was probably the – it's hard to truly judge it, but this was probably the best game I've ever seen those three guys have together. I mean, they had, I think it was 28 catches, 300, almost 300 yards of uh, receiving and five touchdowns combined in Jigba, Wilson, and Olave. Um, just an absolute masterclass from them. And, you know, it's kind of been, you know, CJ Stroud just, he did what everyone kind of expects him to do. He made great passes, he looked comfortable. Um, I think you, you made a good point. Ryan Day did a good job early of just kind of getting him some passes, getting him the rhythm. And then <clears throat> excuse me, that was able to set up kind of some longer shots down the field. And, and just, you know, when you have these three receivers, everybody's been saying it all year, they're going to be open. It's just a matter of how do you incorporate them in the offense? How do you get them the ball spread out? And how do you um, kind of free them up? And we've seen, obviously, you know, the Nebraska game, it was Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba. It was his day. Uh, against Purdue, it was Garrett Wilson's day. And they just kind of – it's nice to see them really spread the ball out with those three. And, you know, just – I mean, C.J. Stroud just looked really, really comfortable. 
Yeah, uh, according to some sports books at this point, C.J. Stroud is the the betting favorite for the Heisman. It seems to be him and uh, Bryce Young at Alabama kind of flip-flopping depending on where you look. But those are the top two guys on the list at this point, and I think they're both you know pretty deserving. I think what C.J. Stroud has done this year as a first-year starter has been pretty impressive. We know he's had his struggles, especially early on, but lately he's been playing really, really well. And like you said, when you have this receiver core like Ohio State has with all three of these guys that just seem, seem to be able to get open against pretty much anyone at any given time, is certainly a luxury to have as a starting quarterback. Um, I also think the offensive line has played really well, especially in pass protection. We know they've had their issues with the run blocking, and me and Josh have talked pretty pretty extensively at this point about the the, the four-tackle offensive line and how that has kind of led to some of the struggles in the run game. But I think that, you know, I think it was a really good really good and easy way to kind of fix some of those issues with a lot of that wide receiver motion that we saw in this game. Um Trayvon Henderson, he had another long touchdown run, as he is one to do. He had a 57-yarder. Uh, he finished this game with 13 carries for 98 yards and two touchdowns. And then Mayan Williams, uh, in his mop-up duty, uh, finished with more yards than him, 14 carries, 117 yards. So both Ohio State running backs had a really good day on the ground. And I think that a lot of that motion stuff really allowed that to happen. I don't know if you know the offensive line did anything different particularly to, to open things up, but I think that if you watch a lot of these plays in the run game, especially some of the big ones, you see Ohio State moving around Garrett Wilson, moving around Chris Olave, and you see the Purdue defense. They, they have to key in on these guys because they're so good. They, you can't just let these receivers motion across, across the formation and not do anything about it. And so with all of that going on, it's really hard to also focus then on the backfield with a guy like Travion Henderson back there. And so you're really you're forcing a defense to to spread itself thin and do a lot at once right before the snap. And I think that was really good in setting up the run. And I think we should see a lot more of that moving forward. And especially, you know, when you see the ability of someone like Garrett Wilson to actually take one of those, you know, end arounds and make a big play out of it. It's just it's another aspect of the offense that defenses have to plan for. And it's just every time Ohio State adds a new wrinkle to this offense, it just makes it even tougher to guard what, you know, even if they just ran a normal standardized offense would already be pretty hard to guard. Yeah, all I could think of is <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Michigan State defense watching film this week and seeing that end around and just going, you got to be kidding me. Because it just, it is like you said, it's just another layer that they can add to this offense. Trayvon Henderson, his vision is incredible. I mean, he sees holes before they're even there, and he's able to pop through those. And, and then his speed when he gets to the second and third level of the defense, there's not a lot of safeties and corners that can run with him. It's just, it's pretty incredible to see that. I mean, we saw it immediately when he was, uh, against Minnesota and Oregon, he's just he hasn't seemed to have any issues fitting into the speed of the of the college game, and you know the intelligence it takes to <clears throat> to get out ahead and see those holes and and kind of beat the defense at their own games. So he's been phenomenal, and it was even nice to see Mayan Williams get in and you know kind of have some like like you said they were cleanup touches and they were you know the game was pretty much out of hand, but 14 carries for 117 yards is nothing to scoff at and. You know, just again, I mean, you have Trayvon Henderson, who barely, he barely played in the second half. Now he's good to go, ready for, you know, one of the better run defenses they're going to see in Michigan State. Definitely not one of the better pass defenses, but one of the better run defenses they're going to see. Yeah, for sure. And we will definitely talk uh, at length about a little bit of what that Michigan State defense and offense will bring to Columbus next weekend. But just kind of clean up the rest of this, the, the offense here for Ohio State against Purdue. 
Uh, obviously, like we said, uh, C.J. Stroud had a great game. He finished 31 of 38, 361 yards passing, five touchdowns. That's a you know a big reason why his his name is among the, the Heisman favorites. And you know, I, Josh and I here on this podcast have been really high on Jackson Smith and Jigba, but I, I think you know I don't know how much we could talk about these Ohio State wide receivers every week because they are just so good, and I don't really know what to say about them at this point. But what Jackson Smith and Jigba has been able to do this season as Ohio State's really third wide receiver on the depth chart technically has been super impressive. I I mean, if you look at his stats, he's actually Ohio State's leading receiver by a pretty comfortable margin. He's got 59 catches for over 1,000 yards on the season. He's the first of what could very well be 3,000-yard receivers for Ohio State this season. And when you have, you know, I, I know Ohio State, I know opposing defenses have come in this season to Ohio State and said, you know, okay, we have to lock down Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. And, and Jackson Smith and Jigba ha, has taken that and ran with it and has been, been that third guy that has become almost the first guy, and he's become a really consistent option for CJ Stroud. I think he's very much, you know, the type of player like KJ Hill was where he's that really dependable target over the middle, but I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is, you know, for as good as KJ Hill was as a pass catcher, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is an even better athlete and it's why I've been able to see him take some of these, you know, 8 to 10 yard catches and make them long gains. We've seen him break a couple in these last couple of weeks for really big gains and I'm just I've been really impressed with what he's, what he's been able to do. Um he he catches pretty much everything that's thrown his way. He's got really good vision as a runner as all these receivers seem to do. They all seem to be able to make you know an eight to ten yard pass into a potential long touchdown with the way that they can make cuts and the way that they're seeing the field right now and I just think to have a third super dependable weapon like that on top of two guys in Wilson Olave who will almost definitely be first round NFL draft picks is just an insane luxury and I don't know you know this Purdue defense they went up against is not a bad defense and Ohio State made them almost look like Rutgers out there like with how they were playing and it was just really, really impressive to see. You know, I, I certainly wasn't expecting Ohio State to come out here and drop 59 on Purdue, but they clearly came out here with a really good game plan. The players executed to the fullest extent. And, you know, before we get to the defense, I just think that, you know, that this offense is, it, I don't really know what to say about them at this point, but they, they look really spectacular. And if they could continue to execute at this level, then I, I think that this team has, has really good hopes for the rest of their season going into the playoffs and what have you. Yeah, I think the Nebraska game, no matter what this team does going forward, I think the Nebraska game, people are going to look back and kind of and, and use it as something of a good thing because C.J. Stroud, you know, that was a weird game. Nebraska's a better team than their record states. Everybody knows that. But that was a weird – Garrett Wilson wasn't there. You had Nebraska very clearly keying in on Chris Olave. Stroud didn't have his best stuff early or even late. He looked kind of shaky the entire way. But Smith and Jigba was just like that comfort. That rock, he, I mean, he had 15 catches. That's unbelievable. Um, it was just something, if he's not playing in that game, they probably don't win. And I think it's just something of looking back on the season, you know, they just released the, the Bolitnikoff top 10 and Olave was listed and not Wilson and Smith and Jigba, which I get. You probably can't list three receivers from one team in the top 10, even though pretty much everybody knows they are. Um, you know, it's kind of crazy to see what Smith and Jigba has been able to do. And it's like you said, he is definitely benefiting from having Wilson and Olave on his team. There's no doubt about that. But to take the opportunity he's taken to this level, I mean, he's already surpassed a thousand yards this season, which is also insane to say. Um, he's he's just been he's everyone knew how good he was coming into the coming into college. I mean, he had he's four touchdowns in the state championship game in Texas. You know, you're going up against the D1 corner, and that's in that sense. But he's just Kind of, kind of like Drayvon Henderson. He's just the college game never looked too fast for him. He never looked out of place. He never looked out of comfort. And because even last year, I mean, he made some incredible plays, but this year he's been, I think, more than anybody could have seen coming. 
yeah, I think a lot of these these young guys for Ohio State has really have really exceeded even the highest expectations. You see these these guys like Travion Henderson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and even you know CJ Stroud in his first year of a starter have all been you know outside of Olave and Wilson. It's pretty much been all young guys across the board helping out this Ohio State offense. And you know, in, in terms of a youth movement, we've seen something similar on the defensive end. And uh, you know, we ha- we can't not finish up this game without talking at least a little bit about the Ohio State defense in this one. Um, obviously they played a lot better in the first half than they did in the second half. And I think that there is a little bit something to that. I'm not ready to, you know, tear down this defense and say that everything is terrible. I certainly don't think that they're playing at the, the what the level they could be. Um, they aren't playing at the level they're playing at at least earlier in the season. I know they're going up against a bit tougher competition right now, but they did, you know, Aiden O'Connell threw for 390 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, most of that coming in the second half. And I think that, you know, some of that could be attributed to Ohio State kind of playing a bit of prevent in the second half and kind of saying, you know, we know David Bell's going to get his. We know some of these wide receivers are going to be able to make some plays in the, in the secondary and we're just going to, we're going to make them have long drives. We're going to let them catch it in front of us, hold them to eight to 10 yards and kind of just let them burn out the clock as we as we continue to score on all of our offensive drives and I think that you know that isn't the worst strategy in the world when the offense is clicking as it is when Ohio State's scoring a touchdown on pretty much every drive you could afford to let Purdue have some you know five six minute touchdown drives and then just get the ball back and score in two minutes and then do the same thing over again and I think that in that same vein you're you're putting your defense on the field a lot and and not really giving them much of a break when Ohio State is scoring in like one and a half to two minutes every time they have the ball so I do think that some of that stuff contributed to what we saw in the second half and some of the struggles but I do think that, you know, there are some concerns for this defense overall. Obviously, the defensive line didn't play great. They were only attributed with one total pressure in the game, and that was from Tyreek Smith, uh, according to PFF. Uh, they didn't have any sacks. Obviously, I think that, you know, some of that could be attributed to Purdue playing a quick passing game, but I didn't think that the defensive line certainly played their best game of the year. I think they've, they've certainly played a lot better. They're one of the top teams in the country in sacks on the year, so they, they certainly didn't play up to the level that they're capable of. Um, I thought the linebackers, at least when the two starters were out there and Cody Simon and Steel Chambers were pretty decent. I think that when Ohio State started rotating a bit more, they, they saw some issues. And I think that at the back end of the defense, as, as a true freshman, I think Denzel Burke did an admirable job on a guy like David Bell, who's also going to probably be a first-round NFL wide receiver. That guy is a, a tremendous talent. But, you know, outside of Denzel Burke, I think a lot of these guys in the secondary uh, uh, struggled a bit. You know, we see, you know, every week it seems like Bryson Shaw is struggling at safety. I don't I don't know what we're doing out there with him still there. Uh, Seven Banks hasn't played particularly well. Um, and, and I think Ohio State's still searching for answers a bit in the secondary. But I, I don't I don't think this Ohio State defense is bad. I think they have a lot of things they could probably learn from this game. They don't really have a ton of time to test things out with the opponents they have left in the regular season. But I just don't I don't know how concerned I am about the Ohio State defense when the offense is playing at this level. I think that Ohio State just kind of has to have an okay to, to slightly above average defense to win football games if they're going to score, you know, 50, 60 points a game. Yeah, and, and the funny part is kind of as they get more into and you're absolutely right. There was a lot of factors that went into that defense. First of all, it's just not the best defense Ohio State's ever had. You know, they're just not, you know, talent wise, the guys, you know, the Jimmys and the Joes, as people like to say. It's, they're not bad. They're young. You know, like you said, Denzel Burke's a true freshman. Good luck on David Bell. I mean, Denzel Burke is fantastically talented. He's had a great season. But David Bell is a top six receiver in in, in college football, probably higher. You know, so it's good luck. You know, Aiden, McConnell's, Aiden O'Connell is a talented quarterback. You know, I mean, it says it all here. He had 390 yards, but his average completion was seven yards per completion. You know, he they were just dinking and dunking down the field. Um, once Ohio State got up and Ohio State was kind of letting him do it, just taking time off the clock. They were okay if Purdue had a drive, a, a scoring touch, a scoring drive, but let's make this scoring drive seven or eight minutes. 
let's get our offense off the field, you know, let them rest as much as possible. And you're right, when Ohio State's scoring in a minute 30, it puts a lot of pressure on the defense to go back out there and, you know, again, sustain an eight-minute Purdue drive that they're probably going to have. So it, it's kind of a lot of things going on. When, you, when your team gets up 42 to 14, it's kind of inevitable the other team's going to score a little bit just because, like you said, you go into that prevent, you kind of just make sure they don't beat you over the top, no 50-yard gain, stuff like that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see against Michigan State because Michigan State is a more two-dimensional offense. Obviously, they have probably the best running back in college football. And Kenneth Walker and Peyton Thorne is probably the second best quarterback in the conference behind CJ Stroud. So, and, and, you know, Jalen Reed and Jalen Naylor are two of the better receivers in the big 10. So you have a lot of options that they can go to. Um, it's going to take a full defensive effort to slow them down, but you know, again, but you look at the offense, you look at Michigan state having the worst pass defense in the FBS. Does Ohio state have to hold Michigan state to 20? Probably not. The offense is probably going to score 50 or 60 points just hold them to 30, 35, and, you know, probably have a similar score like you did last week. You know, and when you get deeper into the season, you look at who Ohio State might play. Let's say they play Michigan. Let's say they play Iowa in the Big Ten Championship or Wisconsin, whoever that might be, maybe Minnesota. You get to the playoff, you look at the Georgias of the world. These aren't teams with amazing offenses. They're teams with really good defenses. And I'm much more comfortable with Ohio State playing a top-tier defense because I know this offense can score on anybody and just holding an average offense to 25 to 30 points and winning a game. Yeah, and actually, like statistically, Purdue's offense, at least their passing offense, is actually the, the best one Ohio State will see for the rest of the season, and that includes yep. a lot of these playoff teams. I believe Purdue is the number seven passing offense in the country, and the next highest, you know, among teams that Ohio State could potentially play, you know, including the postseason, would be Alabama at, like, number 11. So... And, you know, personally, I, I've been on record here saying I think Georgia's going to house Alabama the SEC title game, so there's a chance they won't even play them. Uh, but, yeah, this this Purdue offense was no joke, especially in the passing game, and I think that, you know, all things considered, Ohio State didn't really play that terribly. Uh, I, I did write something. This this podcast obviously be coming out on Wednesday. I wrote something on Monday about, you know, Ohio State kind of playing its best 11 on defense. And while I'm not, you know, particularly – you know, ready to tear things down. I do think that Ohio State could put themselves in a better position by by changing up the personnel a little bit. Uh, I think that the, the defensive line as a whole has played well. I don't really have any concerns about them. I think that, you know, they're, they're inconsistent, but I think they have enough good guys out there to get the job done. Um, I think at linebacker that Steel Chambers and Cody Simon have kind of separated themselves as the top two guys there. And, you know, since Ohio State's playing a 4-2-5, you don't really need much else out there. Um, Ronnie Hickman has obviously solidified himself as the bullet. And then, and then the secondary is where things get weird outside of Denzel Burke. I wrote, you know, t- in that column that I, I think, you know, Cam Brown is fine at the slot corner or if you want to put him at the other corner. But I do think that, you know, with seven banks continuing to struggle the way he has, I wouldn't hate to see some of the younger guys out there. Maybe give Ryan Watts a shot. Maybe give, you know, Legend Cavazos or one of, one of the freshmen. They have a couple four or five star freshmen out there. Maybe give one of them a shot. It really can't hurt. And then at safety, I don't I don't see why putting Cam Martinez or Court Williams out there would be any worse than what they're currently doing. You know, I don't I don't like to, you know, I, I've been very vehemently on record on this podcast and on my Twitter about, you know, my disdain for number seventeen, but I just I don't think that it's fair to him for Ohio State to put him out there and expect him to do what they're expecting him to do. This is a kid that came here as a three star recruit and he's 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 struggling. He's not he is not he does not look ready to play at this level. And when you have guys on the roster that could seemingly do, you know, at the very least as good as that guy is currently playing, I don't see why you wouldn't give him a shot. And like I said, this isn't really the weeks to be testing things out, but the, the really the worst case scenario is that he doesn't play well and that the current guy already playing isn't playing well. So I don't really 
see the harm in giving Court Williams a shot at safety, giving Cam Martinez a shot at safety, Lathan Ransom, any of those guys. You know what? I, I don't really see the downfall in doing that, and I wouldn't hate to see. You know, Ohio State do that if, you know, maybe, you know, they start to pull away from Michigan State later in that game if, if the offense continues to roll and maybe you give one of those guys a shot for, you know, that that could be the difference in winning or losing a postseason game, finding your good safety, finding your best corners. I think that it's important that this defensive coaching staff for, you know, I, I'm not very high on a lot of the guys in this defensive coaching staff and I don't quite trust their abilities to actually put the best players on the field because I watched them start tough Borland for like 17 years. But at the end of the day, like, you, they're, they're, I think that, you know, for this team to have, the best defense that it could have this season, I think that personnel is is going to be a little bit important. Yeah, the Cam Martinez thing is very interesting to me because all offseason, all you heard was how good he was, how indispensable he was becoming, how most he was so improved, and it's just we just haven't seen that much of him. Um, and, and when, when we, we have seen, seen him, him, he's been good. Yeah, and when we've seen him, he's been great. I mean, so in, it's I love he's he's probably got my favorite high school football tape of all time because it's just him pick sixes galore. But uh, it's it's interesting to see. And Lee, I mean, Bryson Shaw just he doesn't look. He's a guy that I've always said he'll he'll make forty five mistakes on the field, but then he'll just lay lay a dude out and act like he hasn't. That the other forty five things didn't happen. Um, it's just kind of interesting to see kind of how he plays the game. And um, I th- and I think we have been a little spoiled in just in terms of who we've who Ohio State's had back there for the past seven eight years. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think Bryson Shaw. I mean, you go up against an Alabama. Um, Michigan State this week will be interesting because they have so many different options to throw the ball to. You know, for the most part, Purdue, um, outside of David Bell, they have Milton Wright, who's really good. Jackson Anthrop is decent, but, um, you know, Michigan State's weapons are, are better. So it'll be interesting to see kind of who they throw out there and what kind of packages they try to kind of confuse Peyton Thorne with in terms of reading the defense because if he, he's a guy who he's very efficient. He's not going to throw for 450 yards because he doesn't have to, but he's very efficient, doesn't make a lot of mistakes, and I think that's what could mess up this defense. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition here to kind of bring us towards uh, more of our Michigan State preview section of this podcast. Flipping the page over to Michigan State, um, this team comes in, as as Justin has alluded to here, their offense is a bit more balanced than a team like Purdue's. They come in with the number 23 offense in the country overall. They are number 48 in passing offense, and they are number 28 in rushing offense with, obviously, Kenneth Walker III back there. Uh, defense is a bit of an issue. They come into this game with the number 111 total defense in the country, and if you look at their rushing defense, it's number 20, and you think, oh, that's not bad. How could they be number 111 in the country? Well, it's because they are number 130 in the country. That is out of 130 teams in passing defense. They are dead last in the country, allowing 329 yards per game. It is nearly 25 yards more than the number 129 team, which is Duke. That is Duke football. Uh, this secondary has played really poorly. We saw a lot of that in the the Michigan game, and if Michigan um, had any bit better of a passing offense, they, they probably win that game pretty easily. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been the story for Michigan State this year. They've been really good on offense. Uh, their defense has been really solid against the run. But, it, you know, any teams that – luckily they play in the Big Ten where not a ton of teams could pass. But, you know, we there's a reason why they lost to Purdue, and it's because Purdue is probably the – behind Ohio State, it's probably the second-best passing offense in the Big Ten. And, and they really took advantage of that Michigan State secondary, which has been a problem all year. And, uh, Justin, is, is Ohio State a good passing offense? Should they be concerned? I've heard good things about the Ohio State passing offense. Um, so it should be – I mean, that's – they've given up 330 yards passing 
on the season as an average. And five of the teams they've played this year are Northwestern, Miami, Western Kentucky, Rutgers, and Youngstown State. Elite I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. Elite. That's unbelievable. 330 yards average, and that's five of the 10 teams you've played. That's, that's just not good. I mean, Michigan threw for 406 yards. Michigan. So, I, I mean, this could be – it would be very interesting to see kind of if they try to even do anything to stop Ohio State's offense or if they just uh, – or passing offense or if they just really try to hope that Ohio State comes in with a, a run-heavy offense for some reason and they can stop them because they are great – they're great run defense. Uh, but I'm assuming Ryan Day – if we all know this, I'm going to assume Ryan Day knows this as well, and he's going to have some, some fun uh, spread packages out for, for these guys. Yeah, and Mel Tucker deserves a ton of credit for what he's been able to do at Michigan State this season. This was a team that, you know, when Josh and I did our Big Ten preview, I I, I think we picked them to finish like dead last in the conference overall, not just in the Big Ten East. And now they're here they are as a top 10 team with a chance to potentially make the playoffs and a chance to certainly compete for a Big Ten title should they win this game. Um, so I think, you know, we could focus on a little bit of positives here. We'll look at the Michigan State offense a bit. Obviously, the star, as we've said multiple times, is Kenneth Walker the third, who has an FBS leading 1,483 yards rushing with 17 touchdowns on the year. Uh, he's eclipsed the 100-yard mark seven times this season and has twice gone over 200 yards. Um, his biggest, probably most impressive game of the year was his five-touchdown game in the big comeback over Michigan. He really put the offense on his back in that game and was a big reason why they were able to win that game despite a lot of the struggles on defense. Um, as we've also said, Peyton Thorne is the guy who leads his passing attack. He, he's had a really good year. He's got nearly 2,500 yards passing with 21 touchdowns and just eight picks. Um, seven of his eight picks have actually come in the last five weeks. He threw two against Michigan. So that is a little bit concerning, but I think overall he's played well. He's only thrown, he's only had two 300 yard passing games this year and they came against Western Kentucky and Rutgers, but with how good Walker has been rushing the ball, they haven't really needed him to air it out all that much. But when they do air it out, they have a pair of really talented wide receivers in Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor. Reed leads a team with 829 yards and seven touchdowns while Naylor is right behind him with 587 yards and six touchdowns. Naylor has missed uh, the last game and a half with a hand injury. He was out against Maryland. It's unclear if he will be able to return this week. But, uh, you know, Trey Mosley is no slouch. Is kind of their third guy. He's got 417 yards and two touchdowns on the year. So they still have options if they're missing Naylor. But obviously they would want to be at full strength in this game if they could help it. Um, and then just to round out the offense, their offensive line does return all five stars from last season. Uh, much like Ohio State's, it's been much better in pass pro, pro than run blocking, which, you know, that just shows how good uh, Kenneth Walker has been. Uh, according to Football Outsiders, they rank 103rd in the country in power run success rate, but they are 47th in sack rate. So overall, uh, it's a good offense. It's a, it's a balanced offense to an extent. Obviously, they, they prefer to run the football than pass it, but they are, they are pretty decent at each. They have good playmakers on, on that side of the ball, and it is going to be another test for an Ohio State defense that will need to play better than it did in the second half against Purdue. Yeah, and Naylor is definitely going to be one to watch over the week to see if he plays or not because that's a huge thing for – um, for them could, because against Ohio State's defense, they're going to have to be two dimensional. I mean, you just, it's, it's, it's just how Ohio State's defense is good enough for that. You can't hit them with a one dimensional offense and, and hope to beat them, especially when, I mean, I have to assume they're going to have to be in the, at least the forties to give this game a shot. Um, and maybe that's, it, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy weird in between because if Michigan state wins out, they're absolutely making the college football playoff. They're the seventh ranked team in the country. They're nine and one. And Ohio State's favored by 20. You know, it's it's a weird – and also, if you look at some of the games Michigan State has won, they beat Nebraska in overtime 23-20. As we know, Nebraska's a good team. But, you know, they had to – if Kenneth Walker didn't have the greatest game of his career, they would have lost to Michigan. They beat Indiana by five. You know, they just lost to Purdue. 
I, they, they've kind of had a very weird season as to, I don't know if their seventh ranking is as good as, you know, Ohio state is by far the best team they're going to see. Um, so we'll learn a lot about them. I'm assuming, uh, as you said, Mel Tucker's, I thought this was a four year rebuild and he's done a phenomenal job. He's my coach of the year nationally. I mean, him or probably Luke fickle. Um, and you know, that's nothing to take away from fickle. I think Mel Tucker has just been that good. Um, this game, I do have Ohio State. I don't know if I would pick Ohio State to win by 21 just because I think Kenneth Walker is going to be able to get some yards on them. Peyton Thorne with, you know, with the efficiency he can have through the air. Um, you know, I do think Michigan State will score some points, but I think it could be a similar situation to Ohio State just jumps out ahead so quick and so early because I'm you, you're, you, it's the worst pass defense in the country against the best pass offense. I mean, it's, it's just – the numbers don't exactly stack up in Michigan State's favor in that regard. So um, I think Ohio State will jump out ahead early, and then Michigan State probably scores some points throughout the game. The problem is every, not everything's going to be like Michigan, where Kenneth Walker can literally run you back into the game. Um, normally when you get down by 20 points, you have to throw the ball, and that'll be kind of where you know those, those safeties and those corners that we talked about for Ohio State really just need to step up and, and kind of – I don't want to say play the way they did against Purdue because they didn't play great, but – hold them to these long sustaining drives. You know, Kenneth Walker is a guy who can pop off 70 yards. Anytime he touches the ball, just try to contain him as much as you possibly can and just make them march down the field and not sprint down the field. Because, um, and if you can do that, Michigan state's defense just is not going to hold Ohio state, um, that much. So if you can play the time possession game, you'll probably have a very good chance. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, in terms of like matchups, Michigan was a much better matchup for this Michigan State team because of the way that their their mm-hmm. offense is structured. They're more of a run first team, whereas Ohio State is I wouldn't say they're a pass first team, but they're obviously their passing offense has been a lot more prolific than its run offense as of late. And, you know, on the flip side of the ball you have an Ohio State defense which has been far better against the <clears throat> far better against the run than it has been against the pass. So on both sides of the ball, it kind of seems like Michigan State's strength is also Ohio State strength, and then Ohio State strength is Michigan State's weakness. So that's certainly not what you're looking for coming into this game, and I think it's a large reason why the line is the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, taking a look at the at the Michigan State defense here, some of the guys they do have out there, despite their struggles, uh, Xavier, Xavier Henderson is the team's leading tackler. Uh, he's their safety, which, you know, when your safety is your leading tackler, it generally does not mean <laughs> great things. He's got 82 total tackles on the air, but he does have 10 tackles for loss, three sacks, and a pick, so he has kind of been all over the place uh, Quervarius Crouch has been their best linebacker. He's a Tennessee transfer. He has 72 total tackles, two sacks, and three pass breakups. He did miss the Maryland game with an undisclosed injury, so that's another guy we will have to see. You know, we're recording this on Monday. By Wednesday, we may know, mo- know more about these guys that are injured, but that's another one to keep an eye on. The real, the only real true standout, I would say standout star on this defense is defensive end Jacob Panashuk. He has a team-high five-and-a-half sacks, going along with eight-and-a-half tackles for loss. Uh, he's a fifth-year senior with a ton of experience. He's been you know, pretty good for this team for a few years now. Their, their defensive line is probably their strength overall, and that's why they've been so good against the run. Uh, their other defensive end, uh, Jeff Petrowski, he ties Panashuk with five-and-a-half tackles, and he's also forced a team-high three fumbles. So those guys along the defensive line have been a big reason why this team has been, been able to play so good against the run. Uh, linebackers are not, you know, there, there's not a ton of, of great stuff going on with the linebackers or the secondary. Um, there are eight different players on this team credited with one interception each, but nobody has more than the one. 
Uh, I'd say two of the more productive players in the secondary have been Ronald Williams Jr. and Angelo Gross. Uh, Williams has a team-high six pass breakups. Gross is right behind him with five. Uh, each one has one pick, but you know I, I don't think there's really a ton else to talk about in a secondary that's allowed a nation-worst 330 passing yards per game. So it's it's going to be a long day for them. I don't really see how they, you know, unless Ohio State comes out with some weird game plan and they're, they're, you know, we've seen Ohio State come out with some weird game plans and have some bad play calling. So I'm sure that, you know, if Ohio State gets in its own way, I could see a way that Michigan State could kind of slow this offense a little bit. But if Ohio State is, you know, clicking on offense like they were against Purdue, against a Purdue defense, that's actually, you know, statistically really good. Um, I don't really see how anybody in this Michigan State secondary is going to be able to slow down the trio of, you know, Gary Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. I think it's a, a tough ask for really any defense. And if you're a defense that is statistically the worst in the country against the past, then this is probably the, the worst possible matchup for you. Yeah, I mean, you you just said it. This game just comes down to as long as Ohio State doesn't get in their own way. They Like you said, they're not – I wouldn't consider them a pass-first offense in general. I would consider them a pass-first offense in this game. I would hope they'd be uh, just because like you said, there's just, they, they can air it out against this defense. They can air it out against any defense, especially this one. Uh, it's, their defensive line is good. And if they can maybe get some pressure on CJ Stroud, maybe make him uncomfortable. We've seen sometimes where, when he, you know, obviously everyone's talked about his hesitation to run. If I can get into that because I don't agree with a lot of some of it, but um, you know, when it talk, if you can make him uncomfortable, you might make him make a Aaron, throw or two, maybe can force a turnover. But if he's back there just with all the time in the world comfortable, he's going to throw for 450 yards and six touchdowns. It's just it's just how it is. It's, the secondary is not good enough to to run with these three guys. And um and I mean you you like when we say these three guys, that's even taking away the threat that Jeremy Ruckert is. You know, so it's and also some backs out of the backfield. So, I mean they there's so many weapons that if he has any time to throw the ball at all it's going to be night, light, lights out for Michigan State. So they, they need to get some type of pressure on him, make him uncomfortable, hit him a couple of times, shake him up, do something. Because if they don't, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, I actually think that there's a good chance we see the the Heisman frontrunner come out of this game, and it, it really depends on who wins. If Ohio State wins and C.J. Stroud has a big day, I obviously think that will, you know, uh, with a, a big win over the number seven team, that could catapult C.J. Stroud, you know, firmly in the lead for the Heisman. And on the flip side, if Michigan State is able to win this game, I would imagine it will be a lot on the back of Kenneth Walker, and should they be able to upset Ohio State in this game, then I think that, you know, I already think that, you know, personally, I think Kenneth Walker should be the favorite for the Heisman. I think he's been one of the best players in college football this year. I think he's been one of the most consistent players in college football this year and if the, if Michigan State's able to come to the horseshoe and upset Ohio State then I you know I know it's a quarterback award but I think Kenneth Walker should be firmly the number one guy in that conversation if he has a big game here and they beat Ohio State so depending on you know the outcome of this game I, I think this this has a potential to be one of the games of this college football season that determines who comes away with the Heisman Trophy at the end of the year yeah 100 percent and I think it's kind of, it, it is kind of funny like as much as C.J. Stroud has taken some heat from people and from the fan base, it would be kind of funny if he wins the Heisman Trophy. Uh, I mean, that's just it would know, be I've, the most like Ohio State thing of all time for yeah. fans for fans to be calling for this guy's benching for like four weeks and then he wins the Heisman at the end of the year. It's very funny. Yeah, he, he's a better man than me because I would find every single tweet that's ever been tweeted about me and, and retweet it and be petty. But you know, that's why he's a college football quarterback, and I had to put on pants for this podcast. So. Um, you know, he's he's a very talented, talented quarterback. And like you said, in this game is he kind of had a I mean, last game is a Heisman kind of moment, but this game could really be his Heisman moment because it just sets up perfectly. I mean, it's it's you're playing the number seven team in the country. 
So if they win by a lot, it's going to look great. But also, you're playing the worst pass defense in the country. So you're kind of expected to play well. So it's kind of a perfect storm for him to just sit back there and let the things just sling it around and, you know, let his receivers, as you said, do what they do and kind of ride him to New York. Yeah, CJ Stroud will have no no uh, no shortcomings in terms of uh, chances to upgrade his Heisman candidacy these next few weeks. But before we you know get to any of that, before we get ahead of ourselves, I guess we should <clears throat> make some score predictions in this game. Uh, per the DraftKings Sportsbook, Ohio State opened as nineteen and a half point favorites in this game. The over under is sixty eight, which you know I, I I might you know I might dabble a little bit on. I think there's a chance that there's a lot of points scored in this game. I think that you know like like, jo- uh, like Justin said earlier, Michigan State will probably put up some points in this game, and we know what Ohio State's capable. Of, especially against this kind of defense so uh, I do think we could be in for you know a high high scoring game not in terms of like you know I don't think it's gonna be like a 65 to 60 game but I think that both teams will put up their fair share of points and I'm assuming Ohio State will score at least 40 or so in this game so if Michigan State gets you know 20 or so then you're looking right around that over under so could be an interesting total there but uh Justin what do you what are you thinking in terms of score for this game what do you do you think this will be uh, you know, easier on paper for Ohio State than than you know the the rankings would predict. Do you think that Vegas is kind of uh, a little too high, a little too low with this ranking? What are you thinking for score? Yeah, I would struggle to take that the the nineteen and a half point. I would struggle with that just because like it's this could be a game where I think the score is closer than maybe the game itself. Um, I would have no problem taking the over sixty eight. I think this game is going to be if I had to make a score prediction, which you know I do. Um, I'd say 48 to 27, um, which is, is that over? Is that over? I can't do math. Yeah. So, uh, I believe yeah, that's 75. Over. So that would be over. Yes. Ha, there we go. Um, so, yeah. So I would, I would say 48 to like 27, something like that. Um, I do think Ohio state will, like I said, jump on them very early with some big plays and um, it's just kind of, and then we'll kind of see a game unfold like we did against Purdue, you know, Ohio state just making sure they don't get, especially because you're playing Reed Naylor who are two guys who can beat you over the top, plus Kenneth Walker, who, like I said, every time he touches the ball can take it to the house. So you have three guys with big playability. I wouldn't be very surprised at all to see them just play back, you know, play high safeties, make sure nobody gets past them, make sure that you're just holding, even if they score, make sure it's those long, you know, seven, eight-minute drives and whatnot, and make sure that, you know, you just handily keep the lead the entire way. Because at this point, Ohio State, you're kind of at the – there's this weird point in the playoff race where you switch from we don't have to kill every team, now we just have to beat every team. And Ohio State has, has reached that point. If they win out there, there's really no debate about it, in my, especially with Oklahoma losing now. There's really, in my opinion, there's no debate about it. If they, if they win out there in with where the college football committee has put them. So you don't have to kill them. You, know, you don't have to win 70-7. to seven. Um, You just have to win. And I think that's going to be on their minds, no doubt. Whether yeah. it's in the back or the front of their minds, on their minds. Yeah, that's 100% correct. Ohio State doesn't need stop points at this point in the season. They're already at number four in the country. They're going to play the number seven and number six team in consecutive weeks. And then if they win both of those games and a Big Ten title, there's you know there's going to be no other team in the country that has you know a better resume than that where they'd be able to jump Ohio State, especially because you know Alabama and Georgia obviously still have to play each other. Oregon has you know Oregon still has a chance to lose a game potentially. You're looking at an undefeated Cincinnati who could maybe slide into that four spot should Georgia win. So I think Ohio State squarely in regardless of what they do. Obviously they have to win the games, but I don't think they have to win them particularly pretty to do so so I think you're correct in that regard 
Um, I'll be interested to see if Michigan State comes out in this game kind of with a similar game plan to Minnesota where they they try to run the run out clock because they know their defense won't really be able to stop much. So they do try to kind of really slow things down, have eight-minute drives on purpose, and just feed the ball to Kenneth Walker and run out clock so that Ohio State's offense is on the field less. Um, I don't know how much that really matters when Ohio State tends to score in less than two minutes anyway, but... I think that if Michigan State is is going to win this game, I think that would be kind of the, the, the way to do it. They would have to drain the clock, hope for a couple turnovers, hope that Ohio State gets in its own way, and that would be the way that Michigan State would be able to knock them off. But I am not going to predict a Michigan State upset on this podcast. Uh, I do think Michigan State will get their points. I do think that it will hit the over as well. I'm going to go something like a 51-31. I think that this could be like a 51-24 game, and Michigan State kind of scores a touchdown late to make it look a little closer than it is. I think we're in for a very... Similar game to the Purdue one, not in terms of, you know, Michigan State really airing it out against this Ohio State defense, but I do think that their offense is built good enough where they will put up points in this game. I just think that, you know, obviously with the numbers on Ohio State's offense and Michigan State's defense, that this is not a favorable matchup for them. Um, if C- if they are able to get pressure on CJ Stroud and get him to maybe, you know, force some things, get a turnover or whatever. It could be a bit closer, but I do see Ohio State kind of kind of putting the pedal to the metal on offense and, and doing enough on defense to come away with a win here, which would obviously set up a, a huge clash next weekend, or I guess the weekend after this weekend, uh, against Michigan in you know what will be a winner takes all for the Big Ten title game. Uh, so that'll, that'll be all, all very fun, very interesting. I'm hoping for it. It's a fun game this weekend. Um, Justin, do you have any uh, parting thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, I do like that uh, comparison to the Minnesota game. I think that's exactly what they're going to try to do. And I think they're going to watch that Minnesota game and show that like, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to hold on to the ball. Keep if, if CJ Stroud isn't on the field, it's probably a good thing for Michigan state because if he is on the field, they're probably scoring. So Ohio state is, so it's, they need, like you said, if they can make these long drives and that's going to be their goal. Anyway, Kenneth Walker is going to touch the ball 30 times. It's their best player. You ride your best player when you have when you play good teams and great teams, especially. So, you know, it, it'll be it'll be a very interesting game to see it unfold. But I just think that unless like you said, unless Ohio State, CJ Stroud makes a couple of just weird passes for picks or maybe Trayvon Henderson fumbles. I don't know. They have to get in their own way to uh, to to there's to 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 lose. There's just it's just set up kind of perfectly for them. Yeah, I think Michigan State's best defense in this field is Ohio State's offense just simply not being on the field. I think that's kind of the way to go, and that would be the recipe for an upset. But nevertheless... We're going to get out of here this week. Be sure to check out uh, Justin on our Bucketheads podcast with Ohio State's basketball season tipping off this this uh, this month and, you know, off to a 2-0 start. We'll see. You know, they do play tonight as this is being recorded, so we will see what happens in that game. But, you know, if you're interested in Ohio State men's basketball, be sure to check out Justin and Connor's podcast here at Land Grant Holy Land. Um, we will be back here. I, I, I believe Josh will be back this weekend for the Michigan State recap, so we will see if he survives his mission and comes back this weekend. But nevertheless, be sure to uh, like, rate, view, subscribe, all that good stuff on the podcast. And for Justin Golba, I am Gene Ross, and as always, go Bucks. Go Bucks.